The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. As we continue to walk through the Gospel of Luke, we're actually turning another page into chapter 15, so we are making our way through it. We're going to look at the first 10 verses today, but before we dive into the text, a question for you, okay? Real simple. I want you to think about it, though. What causes God to rejoice? And I know that's a kind of a different idea, but if you think of God the Father, creator and sustainer of all, all the universe, what causes him to rejoice? What causes him to celebrate? Now, there's some things we know biblically that make him mad or upset him, and, and that's it's very simple. We know that he doesn't like sin. That's not something he's going to cheer about. We know he's angered when we misuse his creation. He's made us this beautiful world, and sometimes we just trash it. We know that when we mistreat the marginalized and the abused people of this world, he gets very, very upset Um, We know that he's not super impressed with lip service, meaning uh, he wants us to praise him as as he is due his praise, but he doesn't want us to do it without the right heart. So he, he doesn't get super excited about that. And if those are the things he doesn't get excited and rejoice over, then I wonder if the exact opposite is true, that those are the things he does rejoice in, that he rejoices when people do what is right and good. He, I think he rejoices in that, seeing his people do good. Uh, when we're good stewards of his creation, I think he rejoices in that. When we stand up and fight for the marginalized and the oppressed and the abused, I think he rejoices in that. I know that when we worship him with a true spirit, okay, when we worship him in spirit and truth with a genuine sacrifice saying, you are do everything, God. I know that he delights in that. And that alone is a pretty picture of, of what the church should be, what the church should look like, what those who claim to be followers of Jesus should act like. But there's one thing that we're going to look at today. There's one thing that not only causes God to rejoice, but causes heaven to stand up and rejoice. There's one thing that we know for sure. There may be more, but this one's absolutely in there. The one thing is this, when someone that is lost is found. When the lost comes to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we know that all of heaven just stops and rejoices because Jesus is going to teach us about that today in Luke chapter 15. Now the context is pretty simple. Jesus has finished a high profile lunch date at a prominent Pharisee's house. He has since then become even more popular in Perea. So there's this huge crowd of people following him. And as usual, as usual, there are a huge group that want nothing from Jesus except all the best. And so last week, if you, know, if you were with us, we saw Jesus stop and turn around and go, have you, have you counted the cost of what it takes to really follow me? Like you're following me because it's exciting. But have you actually done the math? Have you counted the cost? Because it's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you everything. So without, without doubt, there were definitely some who fled after that last sermon that Jesus preached. But there's still a ton, a ton of people following him, ragamuffins who just want something better from life. And then in the back, just kind of trailing along, you have the Pharisees 
you have the religious elite who are just watching, waiting for their time to catch Jesus, doing something wrong. And Jesus, I think, overhears these first words. In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. Okay? Tax collectors, absolutely persona non grata when it comes to the Jewish community. They represented Rome. They stole from people regularly to make themselves wealthy. Tax collectors were out. But then there's a second group of people there in verse 1, the sinners. It's actually in parentheses because Luke doesn't want to identify them as sinners. There's a crowd of people following Jesus, and Luke goes, there's tax collectors involved in this crowd, and there's sinners. He literally puts it in quotes to go, those people, but I'm not calling them sinners because we're all sinners, not judging them. So that is the people within the crowd that the Pharisees are fixated on. Verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners. He even eats with them. In the first century, if you ate with someone, if you dined with someone, it meant you accepted them for who they were. And Jesus has already dined in one high-profile tax collector's house. His name was Matthew. In fact, after dining in Matthew's home, Jesus said, I want you to come follow me. I want you to be one of my disciples and Matthew left it all, a very lucrative lifestyle to follow Jesus. But now the Pharisees are looking going, you've got other tax collectors within your midst. In fact, here in just a week or so, uh, Jesus is going to eat in Zacchaeus' house. He was the chief tax collector, probably Matthew's boss. And that's really going to send the religious elite into an uproar. How dare you, how dare you dine with that guy? You're accepting him just the way he is? Oh, he's a tax collector. These sinners, how dare you? How dare you accept them? And the overarching thought is this. By accepting these sinners, Jesus must also be a sinner. That's what the Pharisees have concluded. And Jesus wants to then tell them three parables, all here in Matthew chapter 15. We'll look at the first two this week. He wants to tell them three parables about how God views sinners and about what happens in heaven when one of those sinners comes to faith, when one of those sinners chooses Jesus. He wants to show us exactly how beautiful that moment is. And we'll look at the first two parables today, and we'll get the third one next week. But just like with any parable, there is a point to be taught in the story. There's a main point, there's some subtle points. And in these three parables, okay, we see the joy, the rejoicing that God has in three areas. One, the joy that God has in the lost. Things that are lost, people that are lost. There's joy for them that God has. We see the joy that he has in the search and the pursuing and the wooing of the, the one that is lost. We will look at those two today, and then next week we'll see the joy that he has in the restoration, when that which is lost is found and restored and brought back into the family. So looking at the first two today, we pick up in verse 3 with a lost sheep. There's one sheep that's lost, and it shows us the joy, the joy that God feels in knowing that there are 
Things that are lost out there, and when we find them, heaven celebrates. Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. We'll read a bunch here. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. That's not massive, but that's enough to provide for a couple families. It's a decent-sized flock of sheep. You lose one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Isn't that exactly how any shepherd would do it? And when he finds that one lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Can you, can you picture that? The shepherd finding the lost sheep, throwing it on his shoulders, and then he goes home. And then, once he gets home with this one sheep, just one out of the hundred, when he gets home, he calls his friends and his neighbors together, and he says, rejoice with me, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Jesus then ties a bow around it. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, this parable made a ton of sense in first century Palestine, okay? Now, most of us do not live in agricultural communities, so it's a little lacking for us to truly understand the rejoicing that would have taken place. But this parable is spoken to the men in the group following Jesus, because men were the ones who went on lost sheep hunts. Almost everyone following Jesus would have been able to think of a time where they were called out by their friends or neighbors, hey, I'm missing Roscoe. Can we we go look for Roscoe and and see if we can't find him? And and sheep were notoriously dumb creatures. Okay, a sheep can just find itself grazing away from the rest of the flock. And then when he turns around and goes, "I, I don't have my friends anymore, instead of trying to wander any further, what a sheep will do is he'll just lay down and bleat. That, that, that's the official term for what a sheep says. I didn't know that until just this week. Uh, we say ba or ba if you're a redneck. But that's, that's what officially a sheep does. They bleat. So the sheep will just lay down and bleat and bleat and bleat and, and just moan basically until someone comes to rescue it and find it. Now, there's another beautiful picture here. Throughout the entire Old Testament, the people of God are referred to as his sheep. He is our shepherd. We are his sheep. The entire Old Testament refers to it this way. Isaiah 40, verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd, talking about the Lord. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. So we see this beautiful imagery of how God the Father rejoices when one of his sheep is lost and then He goes out searching for it and finds it and brings it back. And there's rejoicing that happens, not not just with the one who found the sheep, but they bring everyone else in to rejoice. And how much more so does heaven rejoice when one who is lost is found? It's a really cool story. The returning of almost like a pet. I, I I know several agricultural families kind of within the church, small farms and I mean, they name their cows and their pigs and their, their, their goats. They, they name them. It's, it's not like it's a pet, but it's a part of the family for the season. And God knows you by name because he created you. And no matter how far you want to run, when he finds you, when he finds the one who is lost, he rejoices. 
The second parable is about a coin. It's a lost coin, and it shows us the main truth is the joy that's in the search. Just in the search for that that is lost. Luke chapter 15, 8 through 10. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins. Now, that term in the Greek is actually drachma. Drachma is roughly a day's wages, okay? It, to put that in perspective, let's just throw a number out and say that, you know, on average, a person makes about $50,000 a year here in America. Some of you are like, I wish, and some of you are like, oh, pray for them. So, I mean, let's just say $50,000 for e- easy math. A day's wage is about $200 to get you to $1,000 a week, $50,000 a year. So that, that's pretty easy math. So this woman has lost one of her drachma, about $200 worth of stuff in, in our money, in our terms. Doesn't she light a lamp? Okay, that means it's at night. She's not going to wait till the next morning when the natural light comes in the house to find this. This is very important. The search is very important. So she lights a lamp. She sweeps the entire house and searches carefully until she finds it. There's an urgency. Why? Well, because something valuable has been lost. And second, because it's a dirt floor. The longer you wait, the more likely it is to get covered up and never found again. So she sweeps until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together. You see it again? Her friends and neighbors come in. I, hey, you won't believe what happened tonight. I, I lost one of the coins. And, and I'm going to say off my headband because it's believed since women didn't work outside the home in the first century, this was probably her dowry. This is probably what was given as her dowry. It probably was even in the form of a headband. And you've got to do some really deep Greek research to see this. But she had this beautiful headband with 10 drachma put on it. And one of them fell off. This is a very special piece to her. She has to find that coin. She calls her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. You see it? The, the, the choir of heaven. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. She calls in her female friends. We see that from the language there. And Jesus tells two simple parables, both teaching a very prominent point. One guided towards the men in the group and the other towards the women something they would understand, something that would resonate with them, and all to show this one thing, that God rejoices in the hunt. He rejoices in the hunt to find those who are running from his love. And I just wonder today if some of you can resonate with that idea, that you've been running from God for whatever reason. You've got your reason And that he does not despise you for that. He desires that hunt. He desires that pursuit of you. Because he cares for you. Because he created you. And just because you're lost, and just because you're confused, and just because you're hurt, and just because you're distant, doesn't mean he doesn't love you. And it doesn't mean he will not light a lamp in the middle of the night to come find you. Find you now, urgently, immediately, so that the dirt of this world doesn't just continue to cover over you. He is coming after your heart. Two parables, very similar, 
addressing an audience, showing God's joy in the lost and his joy in the search. What are the main points? Well, I, I think it's the same for both. All of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance. That's what Jesus wants these Pharisees to hear. You think I'm messing up by hanging out with these people? No, 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 no. Heaven rejoices every time I sit down to dinner with one of these people and I share the love of their father with them and they decide to follow me. Heaven rejoices. It goes crazy. Jesus is saying, I welcome and I eat with these people. This is what I do. That's what's happening. I accept them as they are because they're lost. And when I accept them, this causes my Father in heaven to rejoice along with the angels. And it's almost as if he's subtly throwing in this truth. Whoever sees me, speaking of Jesus, they've seen the Father. When I walk into the house of Matthew or Zacchaeus, those people, they're seeing God through me. There is one obvious question, though, um, that we kind of have to backtrack to pick up. What about the 99? Maybe you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you've been following Jesus just devoutly for a long, long time. And you're like, what about the 99? Does God really not care about the 99? The answer to that is absolutely no. He, he cares about you so much, but, but you're in You've already been found. Heaven had its celebration moment for you already. They rejoice when that which is lost is found. I I had probably the most stereotypical conversion, salvation story, however you want to say it. I, I was at a church camp with a bunch of students. I felt the Lord calling me by name, I walked down an aisle, I prayed a prayer, and I kid you not, even though I was 14 years old, probably didn't understand all of what I was doing, I felt like I was literally being rescued, being saved, being pulled from sin and death into life. I'm not going to say I felt like angels were shouting and celebrating, but Jesus is saying they absolutely were. It's exactly what was occurring So does Jesus care about the 99? Absolutely he does. Does God care about the 99? Yes. This parable is talking about the sinner. The person the Pharisees said Jesus shouldn't be hanging out with. This parable is talking about the one who's far from God and without hope. And we can't forget that the one thing that God values more than us is his own glory his own praise. And so if Jesus is saying the way that God rejoices, the way that heaven rejoices, the way that the church can come together and rejoice and cause celebration in heaven is to passionately seek and save that which is lost. Since God cares most about his glory, this too is something we should be about. And you hear, the, you hear me say that God cares most about his own glory. That's incredibly prideful. It's not if you're God. You have to be God, and then it's not. 
For God to want to praise and worship anything other than God would be idolatry. He must be about himself because he's God. So it's not pride. It's appropriate praise. It's deserved praise. God desires to be worshiped. He wants to bring the lost in so they can worship him in hopes that all of his creation one day will worship him. God loves what we're doing here as a church. Opening his word, singing praises to his name, he loves that. But if we are not pursuing the lost to the point that it causes some risk or discomfort, we are not bringing him the kind of worship that causes all of heaven to rejoice. Not saying that this worship isn't good. I'm just saying the kind that causes all of heaven to celebrate is the kind that sends us out into the world to seek and to save the lost. What kind of worship am I bringing God if I sing of his love and grace and don't care at all about those around me who are perishing? What kind of worship is that? I've already alluded to it. It's possibly a lot of lip service. Because if I truly love God, I will share that love with those who are far from him and do not know it. We can't just be a Sunday morning church with a buffet of activities for those who are already saved. We must be an outward-focused church because God finds joy in seeking the lost. God finds joy in the lost. So I ask you today, are you willing to bring God joy by looking around and seeing those who need Jesus in your life, maybe eating with some people you normally wouldn't eat with in hopes of helping them see the love of God and in hopes of them being called by his grace and them entering into a saving relationship with him. God finds joy in the search. Will you step out of your comfort zone and actively go to places where you know there are sinners you're not judging. You just know that person has no hope right now. It could be in your work. It could be within your own family, your neighbors. It's, it's odd to me how many neighborhoods don't talk. Like the, the people within them don't get to know one another. Even if you live out in the country on a bunch of land, there's, you have a neighbor. Do, do you know that neighbor? Does that neighbor know Jesus? Do you need to go to the least of these? Do you need to go to those that most people don't want to go to? Or to the corners of the earth? We have a trip in Roatan right now, taking the message of Jesus, the saving message of Jesus, taking it to the people who need to hear it most. They had to get on a plane to go do it. You don't have to, but you do need to get out of your comfort zone. Because God rejoices when we lay down our desires and our comforts and we go on the search. If the parable of the sheep and the coin are true, then when you find someone, when you find someone, it brings you great joy as well. Did you see how the one with the sheep and the, the woman with the coin, they were so excited in the search and then finding something that was lost and, and bringing it back. They were so excited. Just as God rejoices, you will as well. I promise you, it's worth the discomfort. It's worth overcoming the fear. What can you do this week to make heaven rejoice? You know how to, you know what makes heaven rejoice. So what can you do to make that happen? 
I need you to wrestle with that question. I need you to ask, answer that for yourself. Who do you know that is lost and needs to be found? Will you pray? Will you stop right now? Because I'm done. Will you stop right now and pray for that soul? Pray for that beautiful life that was created in the image of God. Will you stop and pray for them? Church, we know how to do it. Will you? Will you today make heaven rejoice? Father, help us to go seek those who are lost. Lord, then you take over through your Holy Spirit and you call them by name into saving relationship with you through faith. We cannot do it alone, but Lord, I can't think of anything more exciting than to rejoice with you and with all of heaven when that which is lost is found. Help us to humbly, humbly be your hands and feet, to go to those who need you most, and Lord, to bring them into relationship with you. We love you, we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.